Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a very, very smart guy, an analyst for auction.com. I'm so excited to talk to this gentleman because so many people that I speak to, as you guys know, are sponsors and you know, there's always this agenda, which is cool and that's what it's all about. But uh, this is a different story. So this guy is the VP of market economics at auction.com. He is Darren Blomquist. Darren, welcome to Street Smart Success. Uh, yes, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here and looking forward to our conversation. You got it. And uh, you're there in, in the warm part of the state down Although there. Although it's best weather, you know, it's it's like it's like in the 60s. So that's a little chilly. <laughs> it's in the 60s. Well, hey, yeah. that's a range. Is it the low 60s or high 60s? Uh, like mid, I think the high today is like 67 or something like that. So Wow. That sounds, that, sound, that sounds chilly. That's too darn cold. Uh, well, we were <laughs> for talking, Southern California, yeah, yeah. We were talking before we hit record. We're both really Midwesterners, and so we've we've gotten soft on the weather. So I have so many questions for you, but I'm going to start it like taking a step way back because I know a big part of what you do is like macro economic data. What's going on, man? That that's my first question. What is going on at a macro level? What's going on is that we are, I mean, I am fairly confident in saying we're headed for a recession next year and probably a, at least on a national level, flat home prices. And, you know, maybe this is stealing my thunder for later, but, um, and in some markets, a, a, a decline. But the macro, the economy is as is typical, I think, of, <laughs> of especially the last few decades is, it's a victim of, in my view, over-tinkering from the federal government. And we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the results of, of the response to the pandemic recession now taking place and probably coming home to roost in 2023. So uh, what we're seeing is, um, is yeah, is, is the unintended consequences typical unintended consequences of intervention to try to prevent something that then ends up creating creating another problem, which in this case was inflation. And that inflation is really in, in the minds of um, many economists, inclu- including Jerome Powell, the worst, uh, the worst possible outcome for an uh, economy. So he's trying to avoid that. He and the Fed are trying to avoid that at all costs. So Love to address whatever part of that or something else that you were thinking of when you asked that question, but that's kind of what I see is that we're <laughs> we're uh, heading to we're heading into a recession next year and a downturn in the housing market as well. So you had said, and this is just a very detailed question, it just kind of caught my ear as you were as you were kind of given your perspective. You said flat in some areas and then declines in others in prices, and that was curious to me because. You know, it's 7% right now, mortgage rates, 
are there really going to be some markets that are stable or are there not, or are there not going to be declines everywhere? Maybe clearly like on the coast, perhaps more. I don't want to feed you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are there really markets that are going to be able to have some sense of stasis and not go south? I, I think that's a possibility. I think that's more of a, at this point, a best case scenario is that we'll have some markets that, that, that remain flat. Um, and I, I do think that's possible. I think there's some markets that haven't seen the, the the boom, the pandemic boom as extremely. And those markets will be less susceptible to a downturn. And uh, and some markets that that even, bef- you know, before the pandemic were not extremely unaffordable. And, and so those markets will also be less susceptible to a downturn. So I think, you know, it's, it's getting fewer and far between, farther between on those markets that are safe. But, um, when, you know, I look at the data and one of the best, best, uh, data points I have for kind of forward looking price movement is what our buyers are doing on the auction.com platform, how they're behaving, what kind of discounts they're building into their, their bidding. Um, that tells me what they think their local markets are, are going to do. And we do, you know, I do see that actually in the Midwest and even a little bit of the Northeast or Rust Belt. So our two hometowns, Wichita and Cleveland are places. And, and actually, you know, maybe Cleveland has become a little bit of a, a boom town. But anyway, places like that are where our buyers are actually still most uh, willing to bid aggressively, meaning they're, they're not building in as big of a discount in their bidding. And that indicates to me that at least on the, those folks on the ground who know those markets tend to be a little more confident in those markets. When we, on the flip side of that is if you look at the West, many markets in the West on co- in coastal California, Arizona, and some other, other, other places there, Colorado as well, we see the, our buyers building in bigger discounts than they did before the pandemic which indicates to me those markets are more uh, susceptible to a downturn based on, again, those local... Th- that's what I, that's who I trust the most, more than any economist um, or, or any prognosticator out there. I trust our buyers who, are, who tend to be living in the areas where they're buying, not always, but at the very least, they're extremely familiar with those markets and very in tune with those markets. I trust them and what their, what their behavior is telling us about future prices. That to me is one of the most fascinating things I've heard in a long time. That is, that is very interesting. Is that because they're, like you said, they're just on the ground, they're investing or flipping or, you know, you know, they're, they're doing their day to day business and they just know the market, like what things are selling for, like just right now. They, they know, Hey, the two blocks away or, you know, a five minute drive over here where I do have done all my business for the last 20 years. I know what houses are selling for. Is that just why that is just local boots on the ground gut, you know, sense of things that makes it more viable data? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are the guys, I think a lot of people think of people who are buying at foreclosure auction, maybe as kind of the big institutional investors, like a, uh, Blackstone, <laughs> for instance, or someone like that, or America Homes for American Homes for Rent, and the, and actually that that is true. There's some truth in that. That was they were buying a lot back in say 2009, 2010. But in the last few years, the predominant buyer at foreclosure auction is what we call. We've kind of come up with this term, local community developer. They usually live within, for sure, 
the vast majority live within 100 miles of the properties they're purchasing. And most of them live, I think the median distance is like 20 miles um, for these for these buyers on, on our platform. So yes, they're the guys, if you go into that market and you ride around with them, drive, just drive around, they'll, yeah, they'll tell you, oh, that block is totally different than this block right next door. You know, the prices and that property, you know, is going to sell for for this amount or stay away from <laughs> stay away from that property because of this and this and this. And so they're the the folks, the guys and gals who know who know the markets like the back of their hand for the most part. And then on the other, in addition to that, their livelihood often is dependent on them accurately predicting <laughs> what the market's going to look like in 3 to 6 months. And so they are very they have a lot of experience typically and are very motivated to accurately know what the market's going to look like after they've renovated a home they've purchased on our on our platform and either are reselling into the market or renting into that market. So those for all those reasons they are um, they're a great <laughs> barometer of of the local local market conditions. And collectively, you know, they're not, we do survey them and there's, it's not just their survey responses we look at, but it's what they're actually doing on our, on our site, how they're bidding, how high they're bidding relative to the value of, or estimated values of properties. And so it's not just what they say, but what they're doing that we're looking at to, to come up with some of this, this information that I'm talking about. And so they are bidding up you know, because they want to win the auction as long as they can make money. So they probably have a sense of kind of where things are, where the dust is going to settle. I mean, I'm saying this, I, I don't know this, maybe I'm wrong, but what you're, what you're saying is they are the delta between what they're offering and the estimated value that, you know, is published by auction. There's not as great of a delta as perhaps in the coastal markets at, at, at this point. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yes. It's, it's that, that metric is, is what we're talking about here is that discount that they're building in, which is basically the, the, you know, their net present value to use economic terms of the home. And of course, most, most of these homes, or maybe I shouldn't say of course, but just so your listeners know, most of these homes, they're not able to go and do an interior inspection of the property. They're just doing a drive-by. So there's more risk involved. You don't know. You you buy that home at auction. You're the winning bidder. You open up that door. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to find inside. It's a, you know, some people call it. It's it's like Christmas morning, but there's you know there's a lot more risk involved than Christmas morning. It's it's often not a really a good gift. Anyway, so <laughs> they're building in they're building it in, in into their bidding that risk element. And just to, to put some numbers around this, prior to the pandemic, it, that discount was fairly stable. They were, our buyers across the country were building in anywhere from a 20 to 25% discount below, not after repair value, but at what we would consider as is value of the property, at least as is as much as you know about the property without doing that interior inspection. So that benchmark is the 20 to 25% discount. During the pandemic, our buyers went a little crazy, just like the rest of the market. <laughs> um, there was a little bit of a frenzy, and they were buying for as low of, of a discount as nine percent. So just you know, nine percent below that as is value, where it was twenty twenty to twenty five percent before the pandemic. We've seen that just in the last six months that has recur the that discount has reverted to the mean. It's gone back to the pre pandemic norm. 
at least nationwide. But then in the West, the the issue that we see there is it's gone back, it's reverted to the mean, but then it's gone above the mean. So now buyers in the West are uh, are building in a 25% plus discount, whereas before the pandemic, it was the average was 19%. So all that, whereas in all the other parts of the, all the other regions of the country, we're not seeing that. The West is the only place where we're seeing that discount go back above pre-pandemic levels, at least at this point. And so that's where I see the most risk. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Southeast is kind of the, the next region on the on the list where I would potentially expect to see those discounts go back above pre-pandemic levels, which would mean that our buyers are more, basically more scared or more more concerned about a uh, a downturn in those that part of the country, and of course, you know, I'm talking about regions here. There's regions in the West that are safer, or there's markets within the region of the West that are safer, and you know, there's other parts of the country that are are riskier when you look at the market level. But just for the sake of of keeping it pretty high level, that's what we're seeing on a regional basis. You you had mentioned Blackstone, and I hadn't even thought of it, but are institutions big buyers on auction.com? Not really. There's a few, um, but they have, they used to buy at foreclosure auction back in 2009, 2010, when there was that massive wave of foreclosures. But as the inventory has dried up and the comp, to be frank, the competition has gotten a little stronger at the auction. I think in part because of what we do, we try to to make the auction a transparent, democratized place where it's easy for even like newer buyers to bid. So that's ch- uh, all. All that's combined to chase away some of those um, big institutional buyers. They've they've gone to they're acquiring most of their properties on the on the retail market at this point. Um, I think you know they're they would probably jump back in the foreclosure auction if they if if we saw a flood of foreclosures come back and they saw opportunity but at this point we're not seeing much of that we're mostly seeing these local uh, community developer buyers hey street smart listeners i'd like to introduce a great partner for you as you know insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the pnl that's why i'm recommending assured partners Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305 467 5909. You'll be glad you did. I know a person that bought a couple, yeah, I think a couple, at least one, uh, office buildings within the last few, three, four years. And when I was on the site earlier, and I know you do homes, are you guys doing other asset classes besides homes that I just didn't navigate my way through, or is it all homes at this point? It's all homes on auction.com. Um, we actually, we spun off a few years ago, uh, a commercial division and that that's now called 10X commercial. Okay. So that's, Got it. that used to be us. And, and that's a great source for finding if you're looking on the commercial side to find uh, those types of assets, but we are focused on residential. 
Got it. Okay. Well, thanks for clar- clarifying that. Um, what about the um, the statistic around uh, what percentage of people are behind in their mortgages right now? And, and have you seen that go up in the last, you know, three, six months, what have you, just for a general sense of things? No, I mean, and that's why it's a little bit hard to imagine a housing downturn at this point, but the mortgage rates, I think, <laughs> uh, help, help tip, tip things that way. But in terms of the delinquency rate, in fact, the Mortgage Bankers Association just came out with their third quarter national delinquency survey, and they have overall delinquency rates at an all-time low. And they've been doing this since this survey going back to 1979. So delinquency rates, no doubt, spiked during the pandemic, but we've seen those come back very quick, come back down very quickly relative to what happened during the 2008 Great Recession. And so yeah, the answer is no. I mean, there FHA, uh, I was actually, you know, just looking at this MBA data. The only areas of concern, I think, or the main area of concern to me is the FHA mortgages, which is probably no surprise. Those are the lowest loan to value or highest loan to value, lowest equity uh, type of loan products that are out there. And so we do see the uh, the 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 short term of the 30 day and 60 day delinquency rate that actually has started to trend back upward on FHA loans and so that could be an early indicator of some stress in the system that is triggering at least some of those riskiest buyers or borrowers to uh, to default and but it's still you know I don't want to oversell that either because that's uh, you know still not you know basically, at pre-pandemic levels. Now, what one thing we do see, I, I do see a, a backlog of, for, of distress from the pandemic. And there's some great data from Black Knight that shows, they don't call it this, I call it this unprotected delinquency, which is prob, prob, properties or, or loans that have exited forbearance, the forbearance program that was put in place during the pandemic. And are now uh, have really no protection. They're delinquent. They're not in loss mitigation. They don't have the forbearance program, and we no longer have the foreclosure moratorium, which ended at the end of 2021. That it's a smaller number. It's about 488,000 loans in that bucket, and that number has been growing. It's about it's more than double than it was a year ago. And so, even though you have overall delinquencies coming down, you have this smaller population of unprotected delinquencies that are the most at risk for foreclosure is increasing but I don't you know I don't consider it a huge risk to the overall housing market at this point uh, it's just kind of a natural outflow of what happened during the pandemic but because of that I, I would expect to continue to see foreclosure numbers slowly continue to rise um, for the next six months at least six to 12 months because of that, that backlog. And then beyond that, then we get into the impact of this recession that I mentioned early on. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people, you know, it depends who you talk to. A lot of people think, hey, we're, we're in a recession. Yeah. Yeah. And technically we saw two quarters of declining GDP. Right. And so, but the, the economists who, have uh, <laughs> more letters behind their name and more uh, more more smarts than I do are are saying that's not we weren't really in a recession, and so and I, I mean I can see that the 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 big thing is we didn't you didn't see the unemployment rate 
go go up at all um, during <laughs> during that period. In fact, it went down. And so, if it is a recession, it's kind of an upside down recession that we're seeing. And so, I mean, what I'm talking about not next year would be more of your cl- classic recession. Every recession looks a little different, but it'd be more of your classic recession where you would see, um, unfortunately, more layoffs, unemployment rate going up, and um, and that would you know that would be one of the markers along with the GDP. Right, and we're starting to see that now for the first time in you know a dozen years. A lot of tech layoffs. Yeah, you see the headline layoffs. Uh, we haven't, you know, the labor, the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers that came out, was it last week or no, two weeks ago, a little over a week ago, I guess. Uh, those still are showing job growth and the unemployment rate did tick up a little bit. But yeah, I think eventually you've seen the, some, some of what you're seeing in the headlines trickle down to those numbers and we'll, you know, unfortunately see, potentially see, um, job loss and unemployment rate going up and that that will trigger more distress as well i don't think it takes a while for that you know unemployment to translate into a foreclosure probably a year to two years but that is the number historically the number one driver of of foreclosures when that happens what else does it impact uh in terms of other asset classes by the way it could be positively or negatively for that matter yeah, when you see a rise in foreclosures, is that what yeah, you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it's you know within a range, you're all, you always have foreclosures, and so to, in a kind of typical market, foreclosures are this subset that don't have a huge impact on the overall market um, because they're a small enough percentage. But if you if you if we were to see some pretty substantial increases, which I think is possible. In a certain scenario where we saw a more severe recession and a more severe housing downturn, then you start to see there's enough foreclosures that it starts being, it turns into a little bit of a vicious cycle where that is dragging down surrounding home prices of of retail homes um, because there's just a a, a tipping point, a critical mass of foreclosures enough to, to pull that pull that down. And also has a big impact on on new homes. I mean, that's the builders really got hit hard, home builders, uh, last recession because they, right at the point where they had, they were building the most is when all of a sudden the foreclosure volume started rising. And so they were really competing against the foreclosure volume. And which is an interesting <laughs> thought is you have new homes and distressed homes, but um, that's that's something they ever since the home builders over the last decade or so have been extremely gun shy because they don't want to get caught in that situation again where they have this oversupply and then all of a sudden there's this distress wave coming up and that's that's competing against their their inventory yeah they got a little gun shy after the last round for sure okay they, they kind of learned learned the hard way you know, you'd said earlier, this is just a random thing, but like, um, and I was just wondering how this works. You know, they can't, you know, when you buy at auction, you can't really go in and see the inside of a house. And so I'm just wondering, how does that work? Do they put down a hard deposit when they win the auction that's a, you know, that they lose if they don't buy the house and, and then they go in and then they do the due diligence. And like you said, Christmas morning, find out kind of what's in the box. How does all that work? <laughs> Yeah, and and there's a definite chance of coal in the in the Christmas box in this scenario. <laughs> but there's also a you know there's there's uh, 
pleasant surprises too. But yes, it's, I mean, there's not, there's really no, no opportunity to go back even. It's not like even a deposit situation where you can forfeit your deposit. It's like if you're the winning bidder, and in fact, in most states, there are a few exceptions, you are actually either physically or electronically making payment. If you're the winning bidder at that auction, which is a, um, it's an, it's an, still in most states, it's an in-person auction that takes place at a specific time and place. You're the winning bidder. You hand over the cashier's checks or we, we have a remote bid option where you can do it electronically. But at that point, it's all or nothing. I mean, you're, there's no deposit situation. Uh, you are, <laughs> you're the, the, you're the owner of that house, whether you <laughs> want to be or not, I guess at that point. I don't want to make, I mean, I don't want to make it sound too dire, but it's, yeah, there's not really a, an option to to get out of it at that point um, to back out of it, uh, you know, other than just maybe to quickly sell it to another investor who's more willing to take on that risk. Okay, so the way it works, and, and thanks for bearing with my ignorance, you're not putting a percent down. You have to pay all cash. Yeah, it's all cash in most states. In some states, you may have like a few days to you. There's a deposit, and there's a few days. Um, so it does vary a little bit, but in the vast majority of states, it you're paying all cash on the spot. Inevitably, this is different in every auction, but just to, for me to even get a bare sense, how many people are bidding on these properties? Sure. I mean, we have our, our, our kind of mission at auction.com over since we started doing this in about 2012, the foreclosure auction specifically. Um, has been to democratize this and bring in more bidders. And so we're seeing, an, well, the best metric I have to, to, to measure that is the number of saves we have online because we can't always track all the bidders that are coming in at the actual auction. But um, we're getting about tw- uh, 25 to 30 saves, uh, savers per property. On a- That's average. There's some that have much more, some that le- have less. So that would indicate to me there's at least... On average, you know, around 25 to 30 people who are interested in the property. Not all of them may end up bidding um, on the home, but there's there's a lot of interest. And especially that number has gone up during the pandemic because we saw the foreclosure marketplace shrunk because of the foreclosure moratorium. So there was less supply. And then demand continued to be very strong because the real estate market became became very strong. But anyway, that's um, somewhere in that range, 20, 25 to 30. Um, I should clarify, we, we do the foreclosure auctions, which is what we've been talking about. We also do the REO or bank-owned auctions, and those work just a little bit differently. Those are more uh, situations where you're, it's not a, a physical in-person auction that we're dealing with. It's, on, it's online. And so you're bidding over the course. Usually those auctions last a week. So you have a little more time. The bidding gets a little more frenetic at the last, you know, last hour, typically. But uh, on those, you're not uh, you're not making that. You do still pay in cash most of the time, but you have some time um, to come up with that as you're through the course of the bidding, and then and then you have a little bit more typical closing process, like you might have a closing on a retail transaction. So those work a little bit a little bit differently, even though they are still mostly all cash. And on those, are you able to you know the the bank owned REOs? On those, you, you because they're online, can you then definitively know how many people are bidding per property? Yes. Yeah. On those, we have the bidding statistics. And I, I believe those are in that range of... So the 
bids are in, more in that range of the 20 to, tw- to 30 that I was talking about. The actual bidders uh, are more in the range of like 10 to 15 I for see. those. So that probably could translate over on the foreclosure side. Uh, but, but the, you know, they're, yeah, the, they're a little bit different buyer bases, although sometimes people can buy in both places. But um, yeah, that there's, there's definitely competition. We've kind of compared our, we believe our marketplace is actually, you know, more competitive and transparent than the MLS um, in many ways. Of course, you have that cash component that you don't have on the multiple listing service. So that restricts the buyer pool to people who can pay with cash, uh, of course, but it's, it's, you're still extremely competitive. I think we were, Redfin has a statistic where they talk about the number of offers with, or properties with multiple offers. And it, during the pandemic, that spiked to, I think, 70 to 80%. It's typically maybe under, under 50%. And it's dropping back down toward that 50, under sub 50%. But we've consistently, even before the pandemic, on those REO properties, we're able to track that a little bit better. It's, we have multiple bidders on oh, consistently over 70%, and it's usually closer to 80% of the properties. We have multiple bidders. So we have uh, competition. And you see what, you know, you can see what the other person's bidding <laughs> because if, if some, you know, someone bids higher than you, at least. You can see that you've been beat out, but you have an opportunity if you want to increase your bid as well. So we believe that transparency creates competition. It's good for sellers and it's good for buyers too, because they are, you know, they are able to see transparently what, you know, it's not like this closed bidding, you know, closed, uh, yeah, bidding type of situation. They're able to see what other people are bidding, what other people value the property at basically. And decide whether their value is going to be higher or lower than that. You you said that, um, and I forget how you you phrased it, Darren. But you said it's a different buyer basis. Whatever there was a distinction between people that are buying the REOs and then the people that are buying, you know, the 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 bank owned versus the people that are going to these live auctions in person. How 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 would how would you describe the the difference in those buyer types? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you know. They're very similar, and we try to we we try to convince one set to you know cross over and do the other. But I think what it boils down to is is someone who's just who knows the process of one or the other and is comfortable with it, and so has decided that's going to be their acquisition strategy. And I would say that the biggest difference I can think of is that on the foreclosure side, you do that tends to be even more localized than the REO side because those are, um, like, I, like I said, they are, those are in-person auctions. Now, we have a remote bid feature now that we've added in the last couple of years where you can actually bid at those in-person events from your phone so you don't have to physically be there. And it, that's not everywhere. It's in about half the states. But anyway, that because of that component, the foreclosure auctions do tend to attract more local buyers, whereas the REOs, you may have the, the buyers I've talked to a lot on the REOs, they're, they don't tend to be as local, although they usually have some connection to that, that market. Um, so, you know, they grew up, it's, you know, as we were talking about before we hit record, the market, the hometown where you grew up and you, so you know it, you're comfortable with it, but because you can bid remotely, 
Um, and it's, you know, you might be living like me in Southern California and be priced out of investing in properties in this market, but you could go to somewhere like Wichita, Kansas, where I grew up and bid on properties that are selling on our platform for $20,000. And that's a lot more affordable price point to get into. How does a homeowner find you? As a, as a, as a seller. Oh, as a seller. Well, we don't... Um, <laughs> Most of our uh, our primary sellers are the banks and the mortgage servicers. So okay. maybe at some point in the future, we would expand where homeowners individually could auction off their properties. But at this point, it's um, it's the institutions who are selling. So if it's a if it's a bank and but it's not a foreclosure, what is the difference? So what you know from that? What's the difference between a foreclosed property and one that isn't? Both put up for sale by a bank? Uh, well, pretty much all the properties that are put up for sale by the bank are foreclosures on our... Okay. On, I mean, depending on how your definition of foreclosure, there's a foreclosure auction, meaning the bank is in the process of foreclosing, but that foreclosure auction is actually required by law. They can't just repossess the home. Uh, they have to... It's, it's meant to, to be honest, it's meant to protect the homeowner who, who's in there and is losing the home, the bank can't just unilaterally take it back. Um, the foreclosure auction is actually an opportunity for that homeowner to walk away potentially with, with equ- if, if they have equity in that home. The, and, and the bidding at the auction goes above what they owe, they walk away with that surplus. Um, so that's, our, you know, in that sense, foreclosure auction is, is good for the <laughs> distressed homeowner. But then on the other side, once it goes to that foreclosure auction, if nobody buys it there, that's when it becomes bank owned. And ah, you could, okay. you know, those are technically no longer foreclosures. They're bank owned, but they've been foreclosed on. <laughs> the distinction is a little bit tricky there, but those are the two types of, of situations we primarily auction. We do have some institutions that just own a portfolio of homes. And so you could call, they're not really bank owned. They're just real estate owned by an institution, maybe like a single family rental operator who wants to sell off some of their portfolio. So they will, they will auction them off on our platform. Can you get a better deal on a bank owned property as opposed to a foreclosure that you, cause like you said, the bank owned is when it doesn't sell a foreclosure. So could you get a better deal? You know, we see, um, we see the discounts a little bit lower on the bank owned. And I think that's primarily, well, I think the banks have a little bit more latitude to say, hey, if we can't sell this property after a certain amount of time, then we'll keep lowering the price. And so they're able to, to, to figure out what the market is, whereas a foreclosure, it's kind of one and done. So if they don't get the pricing right at the foreclosure, then they miss the opportunity to sell it. Whereas in the REO, they can, if nobody's bidding on that property after you know, a couple auction runs, they can lower the price. And so we do tend to see the bigger average discount on the bank owned homes. It also, I think, has somewhat to do with the condition. A lot of times the ones that don't get snapped up at the foreclosure auction are the ones that are not as obviously um, good opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, and so the ones that end up bank owned may be um, a lot of times more, the more, highly distressed homes that uh, involve will involve more cost on the renovation side of things. How many homes 
go up for auction a month with auction.com? That's a great question. Um, we're seeing about during, well, this year, 2022, um, I believe we're averaging about three to three to five thousand a month, month that are what we call brought to auction. I mean, yeah, there you could go, you could bid on them at an auction. And then, um, yeah, so that's, and that's actually that volume, believe it or not, is, I don't know if it sounds like a lot or a little to you, but it's actually down quite a bit from, it's about 50% of, actually below 50% of pre-pandemic levels. And so really, there, there's a wow. lot, there's a lot, but, and, but keep in mind, you know, pre-pandemic was 2019. That was a historically low time for foreclosures. So even in, and this, I, I alluded to this earlier, but even in a healthy, booming housing market, you foreclosures are, aren't kind of a necessary evil, I guess, of, of a market like ours where people rely on financing to, to buy homes. Most people do. And foreclosure is a protection against <laughs> against uh, you know people who are not able to to pay. So anyway, all that to say, there's there's um, there's foreclosures going on in any market and uh, opportunities t- uh, to buy. To clarify, though, you said pre like 2019 was all all time low foreclosure levels, correct? Well, yes, but, uh, up until that point. Now, during the pandemic, we saw even lower levels below that. So, you're, so okay, so that's yeah. what you're, <laughs> so you're saying, as low as it was in 2019, I mean, that's where we're at now, is it's even, it's half of that, is your point. And there's like no delinquencies. And like I said, maybe it ties into just super, super low interest rates. It's just like the payments are so low, people aren't foreclosing. Yep, yeah, and the, 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 that also tied into home prices uh, spiking during the pandemic, so people gained even more equity and are more motivated to hold on to those homes, and that's all good. I think the danger there is what we're seeing with as kind of a parallel to inflation is you have all this stimulus going into the market, but it leads to home prices, homes that are probably overvalued, um, and especially, of course, when you see interest rates come up. That that home quickly becomes potentially overvalued because this, the next buyer can't afford to pay uh, as much as you paid for potentially for that property because of the interest rates, and so that's uh, that's the danger there. Even though right now most people, oh, many people, have a lot of equity at least on paper on, in their homes. Unfortunately, that could quickly quickly turn a corner and fade away if the market and the market already is turning. Yeah, the market's turn. What are the, so if it's like three to 5,000, you said that's lower than it's been. In terms of a trend, what's geographic distribution? Is it even across the country or are there certain pockets? Um, the Northeast, it did, you know, obviously it, it, if you just look at sheer numbers, it's going to follow where the most homes are and where the most people, people are. So if you just looked at it that way, it would be California, Florida, New York, basically, uh, Illinois too in there as the top states for the most foreclosure volume. However, I would say on a proportionate level, it's, it is still the Northeast that has the highest level of foreclosures, um, that we're seeing on our platform. And that I would say, you know, what's interesting, it's almost a cautionary tale is 
the New Yorks and New Jerseys of the world, especially, and some other states up there have a very lengthy foreclosure process. And so we're still seeing foreclosures kind of uh, hangover from the last recession. I'm talking about the 2008 recession. (laughs) Wow. That we're coming through there because of the, the very lengthy foreclosure process there. And so that's the primary reason those have the highest volume, at least as a proportion or a per capita, I guess you would say, uh, basis in, uh, in that part of the country at this point. And then what is the average price? So is there a correlation to, you know, I guess in my mind, I think, and I'm probably wrong, but that's why I asked the question. In my <laughs> mind, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, the, the less expensive homes where you have more workforce kind of owners, you know, you know, le- lower paying jobs would foreclose more as opposed to the person that, you know, buys a, th- you know, three and a half million dollar home in Irvine. But I could, I mean, I asked the question because I don't really know. So what, what is average price? Yeah, the average price actually, I just pulled it up as you were asking, um, is right at about $180,000 and that's nationwide. So that's the average, that's at foreclosure auction. The, the REO auction is very similar, similarly priced right around in that $150,000 to $200,000 range. And so, yes, I mean, you're right. It is, it is the lower end and it's the lower end. Uh, you, we definitely see million dollar foreclosures. That's not super uncommon, but. It does tend to be more of the the more affordable housing um, going to the you know honestly the FHA type of buyer who may have to struggle stretch a little bit more to get into the home. Those are the folks who are most at risk. And the other thing is condition of the property because so these properties they're selling on our platform on an average of one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Probably if they are fully repaired, the average price is is going to be more like once they're renovated. Two hundred fifty thousand to three hundred thousand dollars range. So it's getting a little closer to your average price across the country uh, for all retail homes, but it, it does tend to be on the lower end. And I did want to make a you you asked a question quite a long time ago, but I wanted to circle back to it about, and I actually even don't remember what exactly the question was. Oh, what? How does how did the foreclosures impact other? I think it was the Other first houses. question I asked. Yeah. The first question. I- <laughs> and I think, you know, one kind of silver lining with the foreclosures is that it's an opportunity to take distressed inventory and renovate it and put it back into the market as, as kind of more healthy, renovated inventory that, uh, and in fact, most of the, most of our buyers, when they resell the property, um, about 70 to 75% are going to owner occupants. So, that's I see a silver as a silver lining is investors are taking these homes, getting them into livable condition. Sometimes they're not even livable condition, um, and 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 many times good conditions. And then many of them are going to owner occupants, and so it's helping with home ownership rates. And they do tend to be more affordable still, even if they're reselling for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's a pretty affordable price point in this market. So, got it. Well, thank you for uh, circling back on that. What what percentage of the homes that come up for auction are by the occupier versus income property? That's a great question. I don't know the answer, but that's we don't have that information um, on our platform, and so I don't know. I think that would be a great thing to to look into. Yeah, I mean, I think 
during the last downturn in 2008, there were a very high percentage of non-owner-occupied yeah, homes that, that became foreclosed on. It's probably settled down into a more stable range in recent years, but I, I don't have the exact statistics on on that for you. Yeah, I, I bet it was. I mean, I, I had I just it was a spontaneous question, but I bet it was sky high because people bought, including yours truly, embarrassingly enough. But people, you know, paid whatever they paid for these, you know, because it was it was like a frenzy in two thousand four, two thousand five, six, seven of. You know, it was, like, it was like basically trading stocks. I mean, it's not the way we approached it, but nonetheless, you know, people unbeknowingly, unbeknownst, that's not even a word, but whatever, <laughs> paid too much in, in the rental markets crashed, which was the other part of the foreclosure process. And th- those, you got underwater and you couldn't feed them. So I think there's probably a ton of those were uh, foreclosed. Well, uh, Darren, I thank you so much. This has been an enlightening uh, to me on so many different levels. I guess my question is, would you want someone to contact you or just drive them to the auction.com site or what will be our closing words? Your choice. Sure. I think thanks for the opportunity. I would say for folks who are interested in, in looking into the opportunity of buying distressed properties, which is, I think, a great opportunity. I've talked a lot about the risks, but there are, um, it's a great opportunity and we try to make the process as as easy as possible, even for a new buyer. And we see a lot of new buyers. Anyway, go to auction.com. There's no, you know, cost to just browse. You know, it's not a subscription service or anything like that. You can search around and look and find what kind of opportunities. I'd encourage them to actually attend uh, if they're interested in the foreclosure auctions. For anybody, I think it's just a really interesting experience to go to a foreclosure auction. So do that is what I'd recommend. And then the third call to action, I guess, for your audience would be if you're interested in some of the the macroeconomic and higher level trends that I've talked about today, just go to auction.com forward slash in the news. And that's where I post a lot of this stuff. Got it. Darren, thank you very, very much. Um, We're a week away from uh, Thanksgiving. Do do you stay in California or do you go uh, back to, uh, to Wichita? Well, my my mom has moved to Florida, and so I don't go back. To, I haven't been back to Wichita for quite some time. So, I, I actually we do typically go to Florida. That's where I, we're headed this year as well. I do you see, go back to I, Cleveland? I do indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Every year, and this year is no exception. Is it? I mean, I know it's thanks. It's different holiday, but of course, I think of uh, a Christmas story when I think of Cleveland and the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We, we usually don't go for Christmas. It's Thanksgiving. So that's a funny thing. Well, I very much appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's Monday morning. Have, have a, a great rest of the week and I'll, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Roger. Uh, thanks All for right, the opportunity. Yep. Yeah, bye bye. <laughs>